Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest is an actor writer and improviser who's appeared in so many great things including veep bob's burgers people of earth another period children's hospital and the very funny adult swim television specials mr neighbor's house and mr neighbor's house 2 which he also co-created and co-wrote along with co-hosting the great podcast ball talk please welcome brian husky welcome thank you that was a solid intro well done thank you no notes no notes oh good yeah. It's the one time I can ever use my writing degree. So it's like, hey, at least I'm dusting it off in some capacity. Yeah. yeah. By summarizing your life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> a portion, a portion of my life. You missed my high school band. You missed, um, you know, the role I had in third grade uh, that got me into acting. I mean, but we'll let it go. You know, I do have notes, apparently. Let's move okay. On. You know what? I'm Just give me 30 minutes. I'll figure it out. Great. I'll make sure it's it's good. And then I'll... And honestly, at this point, it might as well—it might just be me reading the intro, and then the show's done. But if it's all about accuracy, then I'm willing to to sacrifice for that. We could actually just do the podcast and just have you go on Google and research me, and I'll sort of guide you through it. And so it'd just be like a a, a low grade hacking of uh, audio that we could hear. Yeah, I'll read your Wikipedia page line by line, mm-hmm. and then note the citation and confirm if that's a good, both accurate citation, but accurate piece of information. Exactly. This okay, be, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just, yeah, we just came up with a new podcast, so congratulations. Oh, perfect. And then after each episode, much like Wikipedia, I'll implore you to donate, but like not say you have to, but also kind of guilt trip you into it because yeah. of the, the important nature of the podcast and the website, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Wiki Nation. There we go. Wiki Nation. <laughs> well, just as a, a starting point, you know, in the deeply unfair question, though it is, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm actually pretty pretty good. That's something during this heady historical event that everybody's been going through, I... I my perspective on what okay is has shifted, you know, yeah. and definitely there's been, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, uh, realistic gratitude for what for how bad it can be, and then how actually great things are, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'm curious, like, where you were, how long you've been doing this and what the sort of like uh, highs and lows of interviews with people are. Cause I'm definitely sort of coming in as like, oh yeah, I'm in the tunnel and we're both, there's like a, a you know, a small amount of light on our face <laughs> at this point, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to this clunking into the, you know, the, the walls of the darkness and stuff. Uh, I know what you mean. It feels like this has been a year of just active context <laughs> in yeah. so many different ways, you know, mm-hmm. both realizing kind of, what you know taking a mental inventory of what is and isn't important mm-hmm. and to your point about what it is to be okay and me kind of not that i didn't realize it before but really kind of hitting home how okay it is to be okay how like maybe that's the goal maybe more than trying to be amazing or mm-hmm. or awful you know maybe just being okay is the right way to go yeah yeah i mean i i definitely i don't know when it was past few years i realized like the sweet spot for me is right in the middle, which means like I'm able to sort of like I'm able to experience like, oh, yeah, things are good. Like if I can sort of say like things are good without it being without following up with some qualifying little like this yeah. or, you know, a little complaint thing or I don't 
respond just with like, oh, God, here's the first terrible <laughs> thing that I want to bore you with. That's great, you know, because that that is that's sort of how existence is and should be. It's just like, yeah, it's good and bad. Uh, can't have one without the other. Yeah, I think it's state of contentment. I think that's good. I think that's that's a worthy goal, you know, because yeah. it's so difficult, you know, to your point about like navigating all the highs and lows of everything. But if you can come out to like that average of good, that is a that's a that's a fair goal. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I know. I know. Anytime. I mean, just put yourself up against uh, a mid- medieval uh, resident <laughs> and, yeah. and and what their their standard for good would be. It was like, hey, no plague. And uh, hey, I made it to 28. I'm doing pretty good, you know. Yeah. Uh, by comparison, kicking ass. So I always think about that too when people say, like, I was born in the wrong era or, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. Or like, uh, oh, what I wouldn't give to live in whatever time period. And it's, it's always, you know, like 50 years ago at the earliest, if not far deeper in history. And when I think about that, I'm like, yeah, that is a nice, admitted, it's kind of a nice, like, romanticized idea of history because we only mm. remember we only remember the the things that that kind of make it through time all of the great things or i guess the worst things right. but just thinking about the the day-to-day struggle of just trying to survive and like if you're a pilgrim it's like wow they're 32 years old whoa what an old man i know like, <laughs> it's like yeah you know it's it's a fun thought and i get the thought experiment but it's all it feels like life here where it's the easiest it's ever been in history probably at least from a convenience standpoint, it's so difficult. I can't imagine what it was even 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Oh, my God. Well, I just think anything 30 years ago and prior is just going to be cigarette smoke smell and body odor. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's just going to be so nasty. You're just like, oh, God, people are disgusting. <laughs> so I mean, even in the 20s where they would like, wow, didn't have toilets. So this threw it out, literally threw it out the window from yeah. a bucket. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, that was just life then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, I know. So you know, if we're doing toilet wise, we're doing we're doing pretty good right now. Hey, yeah, yeah. you know, in the toilet game, I dare say we're killing it. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Thank God, thank God. <laughs> uh, I mean, my sink is clogged up yet again, and I don't oh, have the no. I don't have the right tool to get the pipe off. So I'm gonna have to buy some Drano. But um, you know, other than that, things are okay. Well, you know, toilet game, sink game, those are two different games. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get a two for going, I suppose, but yeah, one out of two is pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's maybe an average in the sink game. So again, contentment mm-hmm. is going straight for that middle. Yeah. That's exactly. something. <laughs> yeah. But I'm uh, I'm like, what am I? I'm one dose into my vaccination. I get my follow-up uh, in a week. So I guess I'm like three weeks away from medical freedom you know that's about uh, where i'm at yeah i yeah. get my, my second th- thursday yeah so i think it's like because i got pfizer yeah so i guess it's like at least from a pfizer perspective it's you get the second dose and it's that plus 10 days mm-hmm. i think so i think in theory april 18th i'll be good to cautiously venture out I yeah suppose. yeah yeah mine is moderna and i guess it's two weeks after each dose so. okay um, I think that puts me like right at the end of April. Yeah. Do you see yourself like, what do you, okay, here's my question. I, I'm, as I'm formulating in my head, I've been thinking about a lot lately. Okay. I have both doses. I am fully vaccinated after this time period. And a part of me is like, now what? Mm-hmm. And I guess part of that is like defining 
It's just, I guess it's just what you're comfortable with. But I just don't know how much... Sex dungeon. Go into <laughs> a sex dungeon. Oh, comfortable. We're very comfortable. We're very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I guess I just don't know what... Yeah, no, I, I just don't know what, what form of normalcy to return to. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I... My my girlfriend has, ad, and she's like ad, admitted, not admitted, like it's a shame thing or whatever, but she's just like, my anxiety has been reignited by all this brouhaha, I mean, yeah. for her. And she's like, I think it's going to be, even with a vaccine and stuff, it's going to be kind of a learning curve to come back into it. And I, I don't know what, I mean... Yeah, I have no idea. I think I think there are going to be certain certain circumstances and situations. Like I was like, oh, I can go to the grocery store and just shop, yeah. and I think that's okay. I'm sure that'll be like, oh, I can do this. I'm totally safe, and it's going to be weird as hell at, for the first you know while. Yeah, and it's probably going to be based on what's going on with the new variant. You know how it kicks up here in California if it does. So I don't know. I I. I guess my whole experience of this thing has just been a day-to-day incremental journey. And even as like sort of like moments of hope have come up, I've been like, okay, that's great. Let's just take a little bit at a time and see what it feels like. And, you know, I can't, I, I don't, I don't identify. It's like, I don't, yeah, I don't identify with people who are just like, great. The chains are off. Here we go. <laughs> and we're back. Yeah. And we're back. Because it feels like going from having cancer to water skiing, skiing in the same day. It's just like, it's it's too much for my, the endurance I've sort of, the energy I put into surviving this. I don't, I can't pivot into suddenly letting go of all that stuff. It. I feel like we've Completely. all learned some behavior over the past year that, that you got to unlearn. Uh, or integrate, you know, I guess that's the only, the, the other, the better version of it. Cause, um, I also think it's going to be hovering around for a couple more years in, in, in a weird way. So I talked to a doctor who said, he put it this way. And I talked to him a while ago, but he said something to the effect of like, COVID doesn't replace an existing cause of death. It's just another one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very like, oh, that makes sense. And that is very well said. And it's also like frightening because you're like, oh, shit, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. But it makes sense. And it's just the thing like, I don't know, you know, not to be too dramatic, whatever form of life life was prior to COVID or, or COVID becoming what it became, mm-hmm. that's gone. Yeah. Now, what percentage in terms of a difference there is, I don't know. I don't, I think we're, it'll go back to some form eventually, no doubt. I just fear, to your point, that I just fear like we've been running a marathon for over a year and people think it's over and they're just stopping before we're, we've reached the finish line. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we've not, you know, and I get that feeling, by the way, mm-hmm. but I just don't subscribe to it because I'm like, I can't have done all of this for so long and then suddenly it's like, oh, fuck it. I think I'm invincible and it's not the case at all. Yeah, yeah. And we also forget like, it's that it's almost like the difference between when you are feeling depressed and then you're on the other side of being depressed. When you're you're on the other side of being depressed, you kind of lose 
a true perspective on what it is to be inside that headspace and that perspective. But when you're in it, it's almost impossible to imagine not being in that headspace. So that's why I sort of said like the integration thing, because I think for me, it's like when I kind of have been like, woohoo, and just bolted away from an experience that's been either painful or difficult or something, it kind of bites me in the ass later on when it shows up again. It's like, wait, no, I, you're gone. I, you were, you know, it got rid of you. And now that you're That euphoria of relief. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then that's, I, I saw some, a post the other day that showed 1950s, like a hospital. I think they turned the basement space or something into, uh, it was for, uh, they had all these iron lungs for people who were protecting them of polio. Okay. And it was like literally like 200 of these horrifying looking like, you know, giant diver bell kind of grade metal. (laughs) Is it like from uh, the Big Lebowski, like that scene? Yeah, it's a giant machine. That thing. So, you know, just this, you know, 1950s sort of like technology, which is very sort of (laughs) steampunk looking almost. Scary and industrial, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, It looks like, I think this will kill me or save me. I can't tell. (laughs) But it was just the thing. I was like, okay, that happened in the 50s and that was a national terror that we kind of got through. And that was a pandemic of sorts. Um, Not a pandemic. That was an epidemic. And now... It's gone, you know, and so it's a it's a kind of thing of just yeah. You just remember it's like there's going to be stuff. Things keep coming up. <laughs> we're we're humans, and this is a natural world that we're living in, uh, and we seem to sort of forget that the natural progression of on a cellular level is always going on, uh, just because we don't see it. It's, it's, yeah. always, it's always there. Our ancestors and everybody else's, for that matter, have made it this far because they've endured the odds. Mm-hmm. The odds were against them, and they've done it. The only difference is that we, you know, I, I always think about that just with generations and like the generation prior to ours, mm-hmm. and just how every generation has had it the easiest it's ever been. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's been difficult, absolutely. That's just how it goes. But even the generation prior to our own had it so much more difficult. Like, it's truly wild to think that way. I know. It is weird to think in terms of, like, you go from sort of, like, the Roman Empire and uh, and just this kind of height of, like, development and achievement, and then you descend into the Dark Ages where we seem to unlearn everything that we had learned. I kind of, at at times, I've felt that way with with, uh, our country here, and just like, we're this idiocracy that's happening is very it feels like the dark ages where people are just like reacting to fear and losing sight of like facts and truth and replacing them with sort of a fear perspective you know and it's been such a strange experience during the pandemic that the time that we need science more than ever there's been such a uh science's voodoo reaction uh which has been so crazy to me you know well, that's, that's what's funny, though, to me, is that just the idea of the rejection of science, it's like science is the one thing in all of this in this last year that could be like, for better or worse, like our safe haven, mm-hmm. the thing that we can rely on to kind of provide some form of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. That's our guiding light, as it were. And it feels like, I don't know, to reject the generation prior, you know, or it's like this kind of arrogant response of like, no, I'm smarter than that. Nah. Yeah. Undo all of that. It's so interesting. I, I say that 
And last night I finished the uh, QAnon documentary on HBO. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, and it's it's through. really interesting. As somebody who didn't, who consciously did not dive into that previously, because mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to know this. I don't want to get on lists yeah. that I will get on by Googling that. Right. But um, it's just pretty interesting kind of just to get some semblance of an idea of the quote unquote thought process behind that, because I just can't uh, relate on any conceivable level. I, I mean, it really is. I guess it's kind of going back to what we were saying. Just like, don't just run away from the experience and be like, it's over, it's done, you know, because yeah, I feel like that sets people up for a reaction, you know, a kind of like, oh my God, this, this surprise reaction, which is coming from a place of denial. Like we kind of got to this, uh, this place on a political level, I feel like, because we were wanting to deny the things we were scared of so much. Or we were so scared of these things that we only listened to the voice of fear and we think that's some version of control of it when it's actually sort of like making ourselves victim to it. And then denying yeah. it, denying did the same, did, does the same thing. It's like, oh, it's, it's, you know, you're ignoring it and it comes back again and you're even more terrified that it's still there. Well, I think also too, like one of the many fearful elements of the the internet is that it is an, an amazing outlet for confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. And unless you're consciously seeking out, you know, alternative opinions or thoughts, all you're doing is reading things that are saying, you're right. This is correct. You're absolutely right. And then you can find people very easily who also, uh, you know, also agree with that and have that same basis. And then it's just you in this kind of more insular world, just confirming everything you believe, regardless of the wild nature of what it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I don't know. Humans are impressive, but we're also children. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It doesn't matter how old. I mean, I feel like we, it's like, just, just keep that in mind. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're still, everybody's concerned with their own sense of safety. And how you play that out is very different for everybody, you know. And so just treat yourself like a scared kid when you get scared and, you know, be nice to yourself and, uh, and others, especially. Absolutely. It's um, the best way to yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask you something. I um, yeah. I was curious that prior to you studying and performing at UCB, mm-hmm. you minored in photography, went to New York or were in New York and went to photo school and worked at a as a photo assistant. Were you interested in acting prior to that, or was UCB kind of the mechanism for that? I was interested, like I literally have just next to me here on the wall, I, I framed a, a, a speech I made in second grade where I said I was going to be a comedian when I grew up. And, mm-hmm. and so I always wanted to do comedy, but I was going back to the whole fear thing. Like I, w- it, I wanted to do it so much that I became scared uh, that I wouldn't do it or that I would, or that I would do it wrong or that I couldn't do it. So a lot of my kind of like path to finally taking the plunge, I do think all the stuff I did, like I played in a band, I did photography, it all kind of, uh, fed into the final result, but it took me a while to get there. I like, I didn't start, I didn't in earnest start doing acting stuff probably until I was 28 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So it always, I, you know, like I, I, I thought it was going to be a right, like a comedy writer, but I kept having these encounters with sort of gatekeepers and mentors who, who, who would shut me down 
And I think I was thin skinned enough at the time that like anything that wasn't like, you're funny, you should do this. I would interpret it as like, no. And it really wasn't until I was roommates with Rob Corddry. He was an actor and I was doing photography. And then he was just like, you're funny. You should, you should do comedy. And that's all I needed was somebody to be like, <laughs> that I respected who was kind of, who was closer to what I wanted to do. And at the time he wasn't doing comedy. He was just being an actor. So we were both kind of like, do you think we could do comedy? So we both, I think we both kind of like ushered each other in a little bit, but he, he definitely gave me sort of like the, the go ahead that I needed, which is good. Well, that makes sense too. I, I guess just the idea that uh, if you're kind of teetering on the brink of, should I do this? I don't want to do this. You're kind of dancing around it in a way by doing different forms of art or performing with, you know, being in a band and that's a performative element, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then photography and just the fear of like in keeping with that weird analogy of dipping your toe in the water of like taking the plunge, then anybody saying not giving you the exact thing that you kind of want or need, you're like, oh, well, see, that's why I, can't, I shouldn't do it. There you oh, go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I was completely, completely looking for my own bias verification. You know what I mean? Yeah. My own bias yeah. against myself. <laughs> Kind of like, yeah, see, <laughs> proof. Everybody, nobody else, they agree, right? I shouldn't do this. See, they said they liked it. They didn't say they loved it. So I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I just knew yeah. That. But I kept, <laughs> I but I kept taking, you know, I kept pitching it out there. Like I, I wrote plays and short stories in high school, and then I wrote, you know, our final, our school end of the year show. I wrote the whole thing and hosted it and. Then I got to college and I did a radio show and I was trying to do like a, a scripted radio show, but everybody kept saying my stuff was too weird. I tried to go to the newspaper. I wanted to do a cartoon series. They said, your ideas are too weird. You know, so I just kept getting, I hadn't, I guess the, the main thing is like I hadn't found in terms of like performing and acting and stuff, I hadn't found the group that made me feel safe and that I could identify with. And then when I found improv, I was like, oh, I get this. Okay, this makes total <laughs> sense to me. Well, that makes, uh, in a weird way, it feels like that based on that description too, that maybe it all culminated in a very natural way with Mr. Neighbor's House, which is just, what what a damn delight. Let oh, me thanks, you. man. Oh, I appreciate it. It's great. That. <laughs> it's great. That's it, a tough tonal line, I imagine, between playing it straight for a certain percentage of it, but then completely devolving into absolute delightful unhinged madness. Yeah. What was the what was the origin for Mr. Neighbor's House? It was like uh, after an improv show that we used to do every Friday, a couple of the performers, uh, Jesse Falcon and Jason Manzukas and I were just having a beer and we started talking about regional kids shows that we watched growing up and how they all had like kind of a a creepy quality to them because because they were one working on like a regional tv budget and then two they were kind of like local you know it's like the local tv station trying to do kids programming and that's like a subtle you're talking about like a subtle line to walk that's a tough one to kind of get right and when you don't get that tone right, sometimes the stuff is a little like, oh, my God, what am I watching? This is so <laughs> yeah. disturbing. Um, so that was really it. We just sort of like, oh, it'd be funny if Husky was like the host of like a weird kid's show. And then we just sort of threw that out to Adult Swim. And then I kind of came in and, and I wanted to do something that was like, 
because I feel like a lot of Adult Swim stuff is just like it's crazy for crazy's sake. But I wanted to do something that was, uh, if it was about insanity, like what insanity would be like inside the mind of the person experiencing it. Because I like I think David Lynch plays with that a bunch. So I just basically was like, it's like a David Lynch kid show. You know, it's like the we fracture the reality and the sort of like how reliable our narr- our narrator is or our sort what of... What a pitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the good thing, and, and as far as like, you know, it's a f- fucking really fun world to play with. But it's also a great fun world to play with from a comedic standpoint because... You have permission to to sort of like shift the reality of any premise, you know, of any moment. Yeah. Which I think cartoons can do, which Adult Swim definitely does. But it was important to me and to all of us that like that it be insane because this is a big improv, you know, uh, rule of thumb. It's like it has to be it has to be grounded in some kind of reality. You can go as far as you want, but you have to have some kind of some kind of home base for the audience to be like, okay, so what, what is the sort of like maybe the truth of this? Yeah, something that tether it a little bit. Yeah, more. tether it a little bit. And I think that helps us writing. It helped us writing wise because we could always sort of say like, you know, as the sort of like, I don't know, I guess, as the story unfolds of like Jim Neighbors and, and who what his true story is, we can keep always going back to like, okay, so what, if this is what we're seeing, what is the truth that we know up to this point? Yeah. So, but yeah. Well, was, no, it, yeah, good. Oh, no, I was just saying, it just does a great job of hinting at that. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, it just plays it straight, and you're like, oh, okay. But obviously, but there are, even in the opening credits of it, oh, there is violence in those opening credits. Mm-hmm. In different undercurrents, if not overcurrents, I suppose. But it plays it so straight that you don't really see it as much. It's just this overall, like, sheen of... A morning show and happy and Mr. Rogers like, but then man, there are eruptions as it were <laughs> throughout, and it it does it does a hell of a job. Oh, thanks, man. It's very very effective and very funny. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of like you know, there's um, uh, Wonder Showsen and yeah. what is that other show? It was sort of like a, a, a Sesame Street kind of thing. Oh man, I'm blanking on it. But you know, it's not. It we definitely weren't inventing something new with the kind of like, oh, it's a dark kids show. But the thing I I I was proud of was that we were we were investigating a story of a man of a character, you know, who is the host. The other, I think, those other shows just play with like that juxtaposition of like happy and then sort of as dark as you can possibly go so you know what we're great (laughs) (laughs) no but i think to your point though it all centers around him Mm -hmm. and how he became him and the inciting incidences of or incidents and as much as like you know the setup is that it's a morning kids you know regional kids show type situation that all revolves around what is going on with him and what happened to him Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) So it's very grounded. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I was I was really hoping we would get to do a third, but it did not. I was going to follow the at the end of the second one, the uh, the doctor who uh, is running the sanitarium. It was going to kind of follow him a little bit. So if it ever happens, you know, if anybody wants to to fund it and relaunch it, 
just contact us through this podcast. Please do. Please do. I will forward the emails if you send them my way, because <laughs> I would love to see that. Was your first film role in The Born Identity? No. No, I, okay. was, I was never in that movie. <laughs> the And not that IMDb is in any way accurate. Well, clearly. Uh-huh. Treadstone Research Technician. Yeah, I don't think I was in that movie. <laughs> not that I, not that I don't know of. I was uh, in the newsroom in the pilot, which is the closest I've been to a Treadstone research participant. Um, <laughs> but man, that would have been cool. There's a few on there. There's also that says that I was uh, interviewed for a few episodes of like Southern Haunted Homes or something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is that is so specific. It feels like it has to be real. I know, but clearly I, not. I know. I'm from North Carolina. I'm from the South, North Carolina. But like, uh, I guess th- there's some other Brian Husky that they talk to. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. So funny. <laughs> How has the um, audition process been during all this? Oh God, uh, it's been a lot of self tape. Yeah, there's been a few on tapes. I haven't worked. I've I've only worked on one on set thing during the whole thing. I passed on three different things, one of which I I am infinitely proud and grateful that I didn't take because <laughs> it turned out to be a super spreader experience. Oh, wow. yeah, the, yeah, and the uh, the actor I would have worked with was patient zero for it, so I would have been. Wow, you you lucked out. Oh my god, I just and there was something about it. I was like, they're not. Uh, they're not being forthcoming with how they're going to shoot this, and it feels like they're like, "Yeah, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out on the day." So, <laughs> almost like the high pitched delivery of like, "No, no, we're taking precautions." Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, we like, yeah you you can smell that. Yeah, <laughs> from my way. I, know, I was like, they, "We have hand sanitizer," so that's it. <laughs> Basically, what it felt like. We have optional masks if you want to wear one. Mm-hmm, totally, like cool. But it was like for me, uh, it was very. It's always really hard for me to pass up on an audition just because I, I still have this mindset of like, oh, this might be the last bus out of town, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and it definitely was feeling that way during this thing. It's like, this might be the last TV show anyone ever makes. So just got to go for it. But, I you know, it just became a thing. My agent was cool. He's just like, I'm a gerbil man. I cannot imagine <laughs> going on a set so if you are not feeling safe or you've got people you need to keep safe i'm totally fine with it and so he was really great in that regard but there were moments like i got a call back for a commercial audition and i was like when is this shooting because if it's shooting in the next two weeks it was around sort of like a peak period but looked like it was kind of going down i was like if it's in the next two weeks i don't think i can do it because we're still surging and they were kind of vague about it, but then the thing that clinched it was they wanted to do the callback live in a room, and I was like, "No, no, the, you can you you did it over Zoom the first time. Why are we? Yeah. Why do we have to risk our lives for the callback?" You're like, "I'm apprehensive about being on the set in the scenario where I get the job." Yeah. So now you want me to be present for you to do a thing where we're just doing this because that's how people normally do this process but yeah in a pandemic so it seems like a risk and as important as the sale of lawn fertilizer during the, this difficult time <laughs> is for america I, I just i don't feel like i can risk it <laughs> appreciate it miracle grow just can't do it right now i know sorry guys i know you're really trying to <laughs> brighten america's mood with some healthy <laughs> yeah. lawns but 
not gonna <laughs> not gonna be there. As I'm quarantined and wheezing in my room, at least I can see the flowers popping mm-hmm. outside. Yeah. I appreciate it, but just not that is definitely not a risk. For me, I would be willing to take, but then again, I don't have any of the decades of what it took to get to the point where you're at and that fear of, yeah, for all I, it's it's the last one until it's not. I you know, it's insane. Like I I have such empathy for every performer crew member anybody who was in a position that they needed to take a job that was risky you know what i mean because it's you know everybody i mean every single person who has brought me groceries or delivered me stuff i i'm infinitely grateful (laughs) to them because it's and i i really wrestled with myself over that i'm like ah god man am i how bourgeois and sort of like white privilege is this that i'm just like well i can afford it so will you risk your life for me um it's a tough thing that part of pandemic really really messed with me really the darkest moments for me were those times when i was like ah i gotta keep my daughter and my girlfriend and my ex-wife you know safe because that's my that's my crew that's my people that i i see regularly and and you know, it just got to that point where I was like, I'm kind of, it felt like that thing of like, well, if I have to get a gun and, and shoot other people, protect them, I guess I will. You know, it really, yeah. it felt insane. And, and at times I felt that way of like, well, I can rationalize that you're risking your life to, so we can have, you know, our organic gluten-free cereal. Uh, you know, it's, I'm I'm sort of beating myself up a little bit, but I'm also trying to acknowledge that. This whole experience for everybody, whether you think that you're sort of like skated through it unscathed, I feel like everybody's going to have some kind of like psychological ramification, whether they acknowledge it or not. And and that's definitely one thing that for me has been a, a really good experience and a really difficult experience was really kind of facing the level of privilege that I exist in and... I guess maybe sort of like how f- fearful I got around that being threatened, you know? I mean, I, I really think for the first time in my life, I have experienced what a huge number of people around the world deal with as their existence, you know? Not, not that everybody has to face a pandemic, but facing a daily kind of like threat to your what you perceive and uh, understand to be your your the safety of your world that 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 was yeah yeah it's like existential threat that has been looming over all of the proceedings you know it's like i always liken it to it's like you're in the movie jaws but you never see the shark Mm -hmm. you know and it's like that this thing that's just always there and knowing that you know, realistically, this is the first time I've experienced something at least so overt. Mm-hmm. And and to your point, like this is just this has just been the lives of a large swath of people forever. Oh yeah, you know yeah. this form of it. You know, yeah. And to your point about like delivery or or just you know essential workers in general, it's just like what do you, how, like, what do I do? You know, I like, know. what's what's the right way? And it's something I really struggle with. And admittedly, I've not gotten a lot of food delivered, but anytime I do, I am absolutely doing the the overcompensating tipping oh god I, yeah i am so deeply appreciative that they did that and then you think well 
if I'm not doing that, then they're also not getting money, and that's what we all need during all this. But then mm-hmm. I'm asking them to risk their lives, what, so I'm going to have a fucking hot dog or something? Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I don't know what that is. So I, it's definitely one of the things that I've thought a lot, like those types of things, a lot during all this. And yeah. And it's probably something I should have done a lot longer. It shouldn't have been pandemic-induced. But then again, I don't know. At least I'm having those conversations at, at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, between that and and just sort of our country's systemic racism, you know, and just and doing doing a bunch of I hate I hate the phrase like doing a bunch of work around it, but it's you know it is kind of true. It's like I I feel like I'm having a a late stage education. It's weird to be a sort of like lifelong liberal and sort of feel like you're on the right side, but then re- st- stepping back and being like, oh, I'm on the right side, but still in the wrong system. You yeah. know what I mean, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, I, I'm I'm rejecting what's going on, but I'm still participating in it. That that's been something that's been really grateful for, and it, and it's been real uncomfortable. And it's been you know to your point of sort of like I didn't I don't appreciate that the pandemic took it to put us in this place, but I for whatever you know whatever whatever time stream lesson we're supposed to be learning these these things do sort of like dovetail together a lot of times you know so yeah i have a lot of those those forms of like i should have done this years ago Mm -hmm. things uh and they can go from the most benign innocuous things but also important things like that too to where then i try to I, i do beat myself about it like like, what the fuck was I thinking? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. But then at the same time, it's like, ah, you know, man, that sucks. You can only regret the past so much and then think, well, I'm here now. And now what What can I do? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a tough road to navigate. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. There's just that, there's that kind of practice of like, eh, don't talk to yourself the way, I mean, you would you wouldn't sort of like lay into somebody else the way we lay into ourselves when we feel like we've messed up. So. Sure. It's just sort of the bigger thing is like just being like, oh, yeah, wow, I I have messed up and this is messed up. But now I'm going to try to do something about it as opposed to what we we're kind of talking about a few minutes ago. Just that thing of like, I'll better run post-racial. See ya. Bing! You know, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely not that because then when it when it, the truth comes up again, you're like, but wait, I thought this is we settled this. Uh, and then you have. An even more childish reaction to it. Yeah. And there's so many things too where you can reach a conclusion or a thought towards something. And then in like three years, it's a deeply outdated thing. And you're like, oh, that made sense at the time, but we need to reconfigure. Yeah. Yeah. What this is defined as or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, it sounds, it's not cheesy, I guess it's, but one thing that's been really interesting, just pandemic and, uh, you know, race relations and everything is just uh, where comedy kind of falls in to all this stuff in terms of when we're facing our darkest selves, what is funny, you know, because I think, Mm -hmm. I think things like, like with Mr. Neighbor's house, it's there, there, we benefited from a, um, a, a safe detachment 
that we can be like, ooh, we can get really dark because things are okay. You know, there, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was during, during, we made them during Trump era. So that definitely kind of <laughs> probably seeped into a little bit. But, but in terms of like with comedy, it's, it is, you know, you want to take something that is, you want to have, you want to, want to feel safe enough to kind of skewer an existing system. So you can sort of look at that system or you can sort of just, you know, you can sort of like tear it apart a little bit. Um, But there's been so much stuff that needs to be like massively dismantled that, you know, what used to be funny is not funny right now or, or the way we used to sort of uh, find some safety in like a little bit of kind of cruel humor or something that, that will not sit right now. That does not, does not work. Well, yeah, the idea of like, um, to your point about like joking about dismantling whatever system, it would almost seemingly elicit a, yeah, that's true, more than a laugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that does need to happen. Yeah. That does need to, to comment on that is like a, it's more of a truth than a, than any kind of like hilarious, you know, satire or whatever. Yeah. And it, and things got so insane politically where what they were doing in that administration felt like parody felt like an extreme it felt like idiocracy you know what i mean well you were on veep and that's a hard yeah it must have been very difficult to write something that is hilarious and beyond belief when they were doing that daily oh my god they were i mean they there was one joke that they in the very last season that they had about uh, a mass shooting and they and they really wrestled with like are we gonna do this are we gonna do this you know and it's a really brutal like they're like oh my god it's such a tragedy and stuff and but then they were then, I mean, the funny part was, and it's funny, but it's also like, this is so true. It's not as funny anymore. But it was about how can they use it? What's the timing on it? You know, like, are the numbers, is it an odd number? Because if it's an odd number, for whatever reason, that doesn't play well, play as well as an even a number. Like, and these, and I don't think that they were off base in how that stuff is used. You know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it's also the darkest fucking thing in the world <laughs> and it and it's dark because it's also it, it's dark because it's happening in real time too so it's a little bit of like ah oh god oh geez. the unfortunate thing is the truth is what makes it dark yeah the reality of it is what makes it so macabre yeah yeah i mean it's i mean to quote that now famous pedophile <laughs> woody allen but it is his whole joke about like time plus distance equals comedy it's there's a little bit of truth to it because it's sort of like, I mean, if it, 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 you know, just the fact that you're like too soon, can't do it too soon. It's like you yeah. you need a little resting stop. And we haven't had, we haven't had a period where it's not too soon for, to me, it feels like five years, you know. I was going to say, we, we've not had the, the ability to separate the emotion from it. Mm-hmm. Or not that you're ever going to separate it, but like let time kind of make it feel less i guess just less emotional you just don't feel it as much because it's just i feel like we're constantly being riled up yeah there's no point at which you can just kind of like relax for a second Mm -hmm. and then just go back to it because it's just constant it's a constant onslaught of awful shit yeah i know i know i was bummed out when that um that car killed that the the officer and then injured another one at the capitol last week because I just, when that happened, I was like, oh no, is it starting up again? Like, it just felt like I didn't want to go down like, oh my God, it's starting again and freak out. But I didn't want to be also like, oh well, 
Yeah. You know, because yeah. a lot of people have said, like, just because Biden's in there doesn't mean things are done. Like, there's a lot of bad actors still uh, <laughs> still working really hard. Oh, by the way, I just like the idea with with him, and I guess it could be anybody technically, but just the idea of, like, our savior's here, Biden. And it's like, oh, congrats. He's not as bad as Trump. Yeah. Way to go. We won? Yeah. <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah. He's not as bad as the worst. That's a win? Yeah. I mean, he's, I will say he's done, thus far, he's been doing better than I expected he would. And I, and I think, I think he rightfully, intelligently is letting the people around him be his administration. And it's not him being his administration. Um, and I hope that pays off, you know. I think something can be said for listening. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that is a dramatic difference right there. That's an, a, ma- a massive about face. Oh, my God. To actually uh, have the ability to listen and consider anybody who just doesn't confirm the thing that your brain tells you in that moment is the right thing. Yeah, you've gone from one loud, incoherent voice to, you know, 30-plus very intelligent, reasoned voices. And then one asshole, but he, <laughs> there's always one. <laughs> there's always one. There's always one. In there. There's always one. <laughs> well... I don't know how else to wrap this up, so let's end it on that note. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for doing this. What all, if anything, do you want to point people toward? I know you have your podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd love for people to check out uh, Bald Talk. It's available on Apple Podcasts, I think on Spotify, it's on iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. It's myself and Charlie Sanders. We're both bald comedians who interview bald people and others about being bald and also just about sort of like insecurity, uh, self-perception and how it sort of like feeds into your like daily, daily practices. Yeah, it's funny. And uh, who we got? We have, I'm trying to feel like we have a really good, uh, this week we have Ed Helms who has hair. So if, oh, nice. if you feel like we betrayed you, well, he's got insecurities <laughs> too, guys. So let's listen. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I listened to the, um, well, I've listened to several of them, but the Lance Reddick episode was really great. Yeah. He seems like such a cool guy. Yep. I've been a fan of his for so long. Just to hear him like laugh and enjoy things in a world where I'm so used to him <laughs> playing such a stern authoritarian type, it was really a, a great way to to hear him. Yeah. Yeah. It's been that that part of pandemic has been great. Uh just to have that that creative sort of connection with people has been really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, listen, download, review. We're trying to get some numbers going on it. So help <laughs> us out. Awesome. Cool. Thank you again for doing this. Oh, this is great. This is great. I, I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. So yeah, we're almost there. Get your second dose. Everybody be safe. Keep masking it up. And that's it. Yes. Yes. Stay safe. All right. Wear a mask or seven, <laughs> please. And uh, yeah, you know, it's okay to, to not be okay. Or it's okay to just be okay. Yeah. But either way, thank you for listening and take care. Bye. Bye.